Welcome to episode 18 of the Zach Kuhn Show. My guest today is Sherrod Robertson, the owner of Music Row Magazine. Now, this is actually a pretty exciting episode because we had David Ross on as the very first podcast guest ever. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen. But David Ross is the founder of Music Row, and he was able to give us like the Music Row story part one. And Sherrod brings us into the present day with the Music Row story part two, if you will. And I love talking with both these guys because I feel like if you live in Nashville and if you work in the music industry, you read Music Row every day. I mean, it's such a big part of our lives. And to get a little bit of a behind the scenes action from you know, the founder and the current owner, to me was just really cool and really exciting. So I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Okay, episode 18, Sherrod Robertson, let's dive in. Yeah, so, I've been uh, yeah. very fortunate that I can come into the office every day, so, because um, I prefer to work in the office than in the home. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody's here. I have one person that comes, and she stays downstairs, and most days I don't even see her. And then, so she has the bottom floor, I have the top floor, and uh, we're good. And then the there rest of the team... The rest of the team works from home. How many people are on the team? We have six, you know, every day. And then we also, you know, Robert Orman writes for us. And then we also have someone who used to work for us uh, full-time and now um, does freelance, um, Sarah Skate. So we have an extended family out there as well, but we're pretty small. Our, our core team's pretty small. It, it it doesn't take much to get the job done. I've talked to um I've talked to David Ross pretty extensively about. Oh it. yeah, the, the, he was actually the first guest that I had on the podcast. Oh really? Awesome. awesome. And one of the yeah. things he said was was he was like he, someone told him he had a mentor tell him that was like that said keep it lean. He's like it, with the least right. amount of people, you know, everyone has to do their thing, and right, you you right. know that that keep keep it as lean as possible. That that's what someone told him back then. Yeah, David is awesome. He's been my biggest mentor throughout this whole thing. Um, we had become really good friends before I bought Music Row. And um, back when he was running it, he was he had sold it. But um, I was uh, really good friends, really respected his perspective and his business acumen and and, uh, and what he had done with, with uh, Music Row. And he's just been the best mentor a person could have. I, I think so highly of him. Yeah, he's unbelievable. He's yeah. the best. So, you know, I was listening to an interview that you did a while ago on the first podcast of the Music Row podcast with Merle Haggard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he said something interesting, which was that he said um, that he actually named the Buckaroos for Buck Owens, which I had mm. no idea about. And I was like, holy cow. <laughs> right. I, never, I never saw that anywhere. So when, I mean, you, you must learn a ton. Does the thrill of interviewing legends like Merle Haggard, has that worn off on you yet after a decade? No, or is, is it no. still a thrill when you get to talk to it people? It is always a thrill, stature? always a thrill. Um, and what's interesting about that, whenever I did that series for the podcast, um, I was actually sitting here in this office and I was thinking, wow, this, I mean, this was many years ago. I don't even know how many, maybe five, six years ago, seven, uh, probably about five or six. And uh, I was sitting here, I was like, you know, I wouldn't mind doing like a, a, a podcast, you know, like a, a series, um, um, not indefinitely, but just something um, to, to do. And, um, and I was just sitting back kind of daydreaming and I was like, who, like, who would be my like the, 
biggest person that would be the most exciting person for me to get. And the name Merle Haggard just popped into my head. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, if I could get Merle Haggard, yeah, I would do a podcast. And um, so I reached out to his publicist and I said, hey, I was like, if he's ever interested in being interviewed or if, if that's something that uh, would work out, please let me know. I'd love to to interview him for a, a podcast. And um, and they almost immediately said, yeah, we're in. And this was like on a Thursday or Friday. And I was like, oh my God. Well, I didn't have any equipment. I've never, you know, my past and, and what I do now, I'm not in the studio. I'm, I'm not a musician. I'm not a singer. Right, of course. So I don't know anything about the equipment and uh, or recording. And um, so, and then they came back and they said, let's do it Tuesday. I had not done anything. I didn't know. So you had like five anything. days. <laughs> yes. And what I did was I did not have enough time to purchase things online and have them come back to me. Right. Cause it was, it was like a Friday, I think at this point. And so I went to the guitar center and I bought some things. I watched YouTube's like nonstop, um, trying to learn, you know, the equipment. I need a mic. And what, what is garage band? I had never used garage band. So I got into that. And so I did all of that over a matter of just a few days. And, uh, and that's how that came about. And that's like one of the highlights was being able to, to speak with Merle because, um, you know, unfortunately he passed not long after that. And, uh, so, um, so yeah, that, that was pretty special. Yeah. I mean, talking with people like him, it's like, how do you know what to ask? They've been asked everything. And yeah. And I, I will say, you know, a lot of times I, I don't get too nervous and I actually don't do a lot of interviews. Um, I have a great team here and, and, and they're definitely, I mean, you know, like Jessica um, Nicholson does a lot of the interviews. Obi Kentrell does um, interviews. That's their space and, and they're great at it. Um, but sometimes I do step in. And, uh, and so that one just, um, yeah, that was pretty special, but I was actually really nervous about it. I actually did not even do it here. Um, I did it at home and it was quiet and I was like, I don't need anybody around me. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was, uh, I just, I knew I was speaking with a legend and, uh, and it's funny because it completely caught, caught me off guard because whenever I called, um, I had the number and, you know, normally you think, okay, I'm going to be connected with somebody on his team. And was it just his number? (laughs) Yeah. And he picked up the phone and said, hello. And so from the first second I was kind of thrown, right. Because I had no idea that he was just going to pick up the phone. Um, so yeah, I was like, I was starstruck and proud of it. I mean, he's just amazing to be able to, to speak to somebody like that and interview them. And I actually had a similar thing happen with Dolly Parton right after I bought music row. Um, she was doing um, some media interviews and they reached out and said, Hey, um, would you like to, to interview Dolly for, um, I forgot what the project was. Um, and I overheard them talking. I overheard my team behind me, you know, um, talking and I was like, what? And so I stood up and I walked over there. I said, guys, I'm going to take this one. And, uh, and that's really, right. 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 And that's before I really had hardly interviewed anyone. And you know, my background is not journalism. It's not, um, my background's finance. Um, right. So, 
this was a very new trajectory, but I loved it and I was very passionate about it. And so when I, I, I went to um, her facility to interview her, whenever I got there, there was just a few people around the table. It was probably like maybe six, six people, six or seven people. And we were around a really small conference table. And so I sat down and then she ended up coming in and she sat down on the end, which was right beside me. And, um, and fortunately I wasn't the first one to go. So it was one of those typical things where everybody has a mic and they're just going around the table, right? Asking questions. And so fortunately they started on the other side of Dolly and they would go through and they just went right in kind of like the way we were, we uh, started this, we just, you know, start talking. And so everybody's asking a question and then she answers and then goes to the next person. And then, you know, of course I see, okay, it's heading toward me. It's about my turn, but I'm, <laughs> I'm seeing what everybody's doing. I'm like, okay, I got this. And that's like, you've got to get Dolly's respect right there, but you've right. got to get the respect of the peers around right, you, right? Exactly. <laughs> I didn't know who I was. And um, yeah, there were, I, I had not made any um, relationships in media at that point. And uh, my fellow journalists who, who, who I adore in this business. But so it's coming to me, it gets to me, and everybody's just jumping right in and asking questions. So I'm ready for my question and, and it's my turn. And I lean in, I'm about to ask my question. And she goes, hold up, what is your name? And I'm thinking, oh man, I was like, uh, uh, I'm Sherrod. And I said, and I, I was a little nervous and I said, oh, I'm Sherrod with Music Row Magazine. And I said it just like that. So Music Row was strong, magazine kind of trailed off. And she goes, Music Row? And she stands up, she says, I thought I own Music Row. <laughs> and she said, don't, don't tell me I'm gonna have to take you out to the back alley and, and show you a few things like I did with Porter Wagner. So of course it was this big moment for me and uh, everybody laughed. And uh, I mean, just the, I mean, she's so enduring and, and everybody has Dolly stories. And uh, I, I love that I have that one the first time I met her, so. Unbelievable, yeah, she's yeah. one that really lives up to the hype. Oh I my mean, gosh, yeah, right? Right, because some people you may, like they have that personality and they have their creative work and they have, um, you know, their celebrity and then you meet them and it's like, oh yeah, they didn't really engage with me. It was more of like, hey, let's take a right. picture, goodbye, whatever. Um, Dolly is like, she is every bit as big as you have of her in your head. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah. It's funny, I remember being in college and I, I was on a um, college radio station there and I was interviewing, I was gonna have an interview with Jason Isbell, which to me felt like a massive deal. Um, and I remember I was working and and I was told that he was, he was gonna call me throughout the day. He was doing media, he had my info, he was gonna call me. And I remember being at work and I got a phone call from an unrecognized number and I sort of forgot what happened. I pick up the phone and he's like, is this Zach, it's Jason Isbell. I was like, just like that, like he's <laughs> off right, the phone. Right. And I go, hold on, and I walk out, I, went, I sat in my car with my notepad, I had notes, I interviewed him in the back seat of my car. And it was the same thing where I was like, that simple, he's on the phone with me? Like it was shocking, right. <laughs> just oh, like with that. Merle Haggard. I mean. 
Hey everyone, thanks for listening and hope you're enjoying the show. Some of you may know that I run an industry newsletter called the Nashville Briefing. Really takes you to the front row of everything happening in our industry. And if you want to learn more about it, you can go to nashvillebriefing.com to subscribe. Also, if you're enjoying this show and specifically this episode, please feel free to give us a five-star review on your podcast listening platform. Thanks so much. Now back to the show. So, okay, wait. So you were working in finance in Dallas at Arthur Anderson. Mm-hmm. That's and where then I started. Mm-hmm. That's where you started. And yep. then at a certain point, you end up in Nashville and you're working for Reunion Records. How did you make right. that switch from Dallas to Nashville? So I actually came here, this was uh, like around 1990. I, uh, my college roommate lived in Nashville. And so I was in Dallas. Um, one thing about working for the accounting firms back then, it was called the big eight, but the public accounting firms, it really, it was a lifestyle, meaning that you did not get your life. You know, it was all work um, from, you know, starting at eight till 10 at night, especially during the busy season. Um, during tax season, during uh, end of year, whenever you have to uh, audit the financials of companies, especially if they're public companies, you know, that's a whole thing in itself. And really the hours were, were really, really um, long. And, you know, there was no 40 hour week. It was more like 70 hour weeks and, uh, and perhaps even more than that. And, and of course, being young, you're still going to play, right? So you're going to go out at night and, and have fun and go to shows and stuff. Um, so I did that for four years. So after four years, I was, you know, you get tired of that, right? Just going nonstop. And so I had visited a friend of mine who was my roommate in college. He lived here. And so really over the course of just a long weekend, I decided I was going to move here. And um, Arthur Anderson was great. I went back to Dallas. I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to move to Nashville. They said, we got your back. Um, and they took care of me. They, they uh, gave me a good severance. And they said, hey, you know, just stay on until you find a new job. Because they really, you know, back in those days, they really treated people who were to exit um, on good terms. They treat them really well because they think, oh, you're going to be in a position one day to decide who the company's accountants are going to be right? Who your tax accounts are going to be, who your auditors are going to be. And so it was like a really great, um, great way to like, I mean, they, they did not see it as a real negative for you to leave. They saw it as, oh, this is now no longer an employee, but perhaps a future client. Sure. And so they, now, what was me, it about Nashville that drew you into it? Was it the, oh yeah. So if I go back to that, or... no. So music was never part of my trajectory. Um, at that point until I got to Nashville. Um, I grew up in Alabama. I was born in Mississippi, grew up in Alabama and Mississippi. Um, We didn't have much money at all. I grew up living in trailer parks and, uh, and there was a show called Dallas as everybody knows the original one back then. And uh, so, so I watched it and that show just opened my eyes to a whole world that was outside of the places that I had lived. And so I very, you know, almost immediately, I mean, I definitely fell in love with the series. It was like the hottest series um, at that time. And I saw, you know, the, the business meetings and, you know, of course it's all exaggerated, but, um, and the storylines are, are crazy, but I saw like a world that I wanted to be part of. And so I was hell bent on moving to Dallas. And so whenever I was in school, 
that's the only place that I would interview for. So since I went to the University of Alabama, most of the, the jobs were like for, you know, maybe Atlanta, Birmingham, you know, somewhere like that. And I said, nope, I'm only interviewing if the it's in Dallas. And so I ended up getting quite a few interviews and uh, in Dallas. And, uh, and that's how I landed at Arthur Anderson. And, uh, and for people who aren't familiar with Arthur Anderson, probably younger people definitely aren't. Um, that's the, the accounting firm that represented Enron. Right. And you probably <laughs> have of heard five. of Enron. <laughs> right. <laughs> you probably have heard of Enron. And, and of course I was gone long before that happened, but, um, I mean, they were definitely the behemoth of the accounting firms. Um, Arthur Anderson was, I mean, they even had, um, their own college up in Chicago that we would go to frequently to train. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's crazy that something like that could bring about, bring down such a big company. But, um, but after, but back to, after four years of working at that, um, intensity and playing at that intensity in a city as big as, as Nash, as uh, Dallas, when I had never lived in a big city before. And, um, so, you know, I think I was ready for a change and that's kind of, whenever I came out here, I was like, Oh, Nashville is great. You know, it's, it's, you know, we used to say it's, it's a small town with a big town feel or right, something right, like right. that. Um, to where, you know, there was plenty of stuff to do, but it was still had a small town and it was easy. It's just kind of like feels a very like easy. Yeah. It, felt, it was pretty easy. Everywhere. Oh, absolutely. Run into people, you know, every time you go out. And uh, even if you haven't lived here that long. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and relationships are so important here. And there was plenty of stuff to do even back then. Um, you know, not compared to the way it is now. It's completely, it's, it's basically like Dallas was when I lived in Dallas. You know, there's so much to do here. But, um, but that's what got me to Dallas. And then that's what got me um, back to or here to Nashville. And then how'd you land a gig at Reunion Records? Yeah, so I wasn't into the music industry at all. I mean, I love music. I listen to music. Um, but again, I'm not a musician. I'm not a songwriter or singer or anything like that. And what happened was I um, met it through relationships, like everything happens in Nashville. I had met um, the accountants the outside accountants or the accounting firm that was handling everything for reunion records and reunion um, at the time was an independent uh, contemporary Christian music right. label and their flagship artist was um, Michael W. Smith. And then one of the owners of reunion was Amy Grant's brother-in-law, uh, Dan Harrell. And then, um, so Terry Hemmings, the three people who owned it was Terry Hemmings, who now heads up Provident, uh, Dan Harrell, and um, Mike Blanton. So, um, and Blanton Harrell was a management company with Mike Blanton and Dan Harrell, and then Reunion Records was the label side. And so these friends that I knew, they said, hey, um, we have a client, Reunion, and they could really use an in-house accounting person um, and we think you would be perfect for that. So would you be interested in interviewing them? And I was like, oh yeah. I was like, that sounds cool. And so um, they set it up and I'll never forget. I went there for my interview and keep in mind, my past is all Arthur Anderson. Now you have to know like at Arthur Anderson, we couldn't even take our coat off outside of our suit. They would not let us like in hundred degree weather, 
we cannot right, take right, off right. our coat. And of course we had a tie in, in the whole bit, but they were very strict about appearance and um, the length of your hair and not too long, not too short. Like it, it was very much um, an image focused. Totally, totally. Uh, not the music industry. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So that's my mindset. That's my past. So I come to Reunion Records and I'm uh, waiting for my interview. So I'm in the lobby and I remember it like yesterday because I'm in the lobby and first of all, I hear music going, which is, you know, I'm, I'm used to like maybe elevator music going at the counting time. Right, exactly, music. And, um, and so I'm hearing all this fun music and then they, I'm seeing um, people walk by and I see how they're dressed and they're laughing and it's just the whole vibe was like, Oh my God. And were you overdressed for the job interview? Oh yeah. I was in a three piece suit. <laughs> yes. Oh, and not only that, I um, had my uh, expandable briefcase that you unlatched and then it would expand for all the you know stuff that was in it. So I looked like an auditor because that's what I knew. Right. And um, very short hair, suit, tie, my briefcase, and I'm sure they're like thinking, who is this guy in the lobby, you know? So anyhow, so I had an interview with Terry Hemmings. And, but I will say before they even called me to go back to his office, I knew I had to have that job. Just sitting in that lobby for like 10 minutes. If anything, that's when the bug bit me to be in the music industry. And I was like, I can't do anything else. I didn't even know a place like this existed that you could work in just this environment, you know? And uh, so because I'm it was not, laid back, it was, everyone yeah, seemed to be having, everybody was having good fun. energy. Everybody, everyone I heard was having so fun. much laughter. I heard music going, music blasting. Cause I'm sure the A&R, you know, person upstairs was listening, was listening to, something. to new music or something. And, uh, and I was just like, oh my God, I have to work here. This is, this is where I belong. And so I met with Terry Hemmings and, um, and so he said, and I'll never forget, they said, so, Sherrod, tell me what um, experience do you have in the music business? And I, was, I could not think of anything. And I said, well, I bought music. That's the only thing I could think of is that I said, I bought music, period. That's all, that's all I could say. So, um, so he's asking me a few questions. And really, the interview ended, you know, in about 15 minutes. And he said, well, I don't really have anything else to ask um, unless you do. And I was like, oh, crap, this ain't good. That's the dreadful interview question at, right. at the end. Any questions? And you know, if it's like 15 minutes in, 12, you know, 10, 15 minutes in, you know, damn it. You, your ass is on the line for a right. good question. It's like, That's this is not, he's not saying, hey, get you out of my office because I'm going to hire you. That's not, that's not how that works. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Because I'm getting this job. And so I thought, you know what? I have some examples of the work that I did at Arthur Anderson in that expandable briefcase. So I unlatched it, opened it up. I said, yeah, I said, you know, I don't really have any questions, but I'll tell you what, I want to show you more about what I can do. And I was an oil and gas. Um, what oil and gas was my focus. Um, and it was, it was the time when oil and gas, which I guess is kind of like it is now, but it, it had really gone down. And so there wasn't a lot of money in it at the time. This was, you know, late, late eighties. And um, so what they did was since they couldn't spend a lot of money on the accountants, they sent 
the newbies, i.e. me, and made me in charge. So I got like a ton of experience with oil and gas. Whereas if you were on like in a growth industry at the time, you would just be a minion and there would be all sure, these different yeah, yeah. layers, right? But what they would do is they would say, okay, Sherrod, you're the oil and gas expert. Go do this audit by yourself or you can have one you know, staffer for a couple of weeks or something. So I got a tremendous amount of oil and gas experience from the bottom all the way to the top very quickly, even in those first four years. And so whenever I was meeting with Terry Hemmings and, and I could tell he wasn't impressed, I said, okay, I have to really show him what I can do. So I had these spreadsheets and that, that would just open up, just, just keep unfolding. They were just massive spreadsheets. And um, I said, yeah, I said, you know, my, my focus has been oil and gas. And, um, and then I would mention something about royalties and oil and gas. He says, well, you know, we have royalties in the music industry. I said, oh, you do? I said, well, how does that work? And then he would explain, oh, well, there's the mechanicals. There's, you know, writers have the mechanicals. And then you've got performance. And, and so he started going through this. I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, just change the term. I, I know all this stuff. I said, it's just a different term because in you know, oil and gas, you have people who have rights to the, the oil. Then you have the landowner and you, and the pie is split up a million different ways right. in oil right. and gas. And as we were like talking and I started asking more questions and then in oil and gas, you have recoupment, you have intangible drilling costs and you have recoupments before people get paid out. And, and of course, Terry's like, well, you have recoupable costs in the music business too. We, we make an album and the artist has to recoup those costs before they get their royalty. I was like, dude, this is exactly the same stuff. Just it's different words. It's different names. And so I just kept going with it. I was like, I have a shot now. <laughs> and so I just kept going with it. And I probably was in his office like over two hours um, in that interview. And I was laying my papers all over his floor in his office. And I was just going for it because I knew I had to have that job. Long story short, we wrapped up. He was like glazed over, you know, because I started talking about, you know, I've helped take a company public and I deal with banks and I deal with loan and loan covenants. And I was just going through every, just really sure, just yeah, spewing, yeah. spewing everything that I could have ever done in my life up to that point, all at Arthur Anderson. And, um, and once I just, I remember looking at him and he just had this glazed look, like he didn't even hardly speak at that point. I, I just kind of worn him down. I was like, all right. I think I've done all I can do here. I was saying that to myself um, internally. And I was like, this is, this, uh, I, I've left, there's nothing that I haven't left. I've left it all on the table in his case on the floor. Right. So right, I start right. packing up my, my stuff and, and I left. And by the time I got home, I got the call, I got the job. So holy cow. that's how I got in the music business. Now I heard you say in an interview once that, you decide to study accounting in college because you didn't know what you wanted to do, but you thought accounting was the hardest to learn as that an entrepreneur and it, and it's, and it's the most universal. I mean, is that, is that a good way to get into the music business? Study accounting? No, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> no but you know, what's interesting about the music business is everybody has their own path. Right. And you know, my, my passion, you know, if you want to say, well, what were you originally passionate for? It was business. Um, I was very much passionate about the business side of it. And what happened was even in high school, I, I, I wanted to be in business. That, that's all I wanted to do. And I, it wasn't so much what the business was. It was more, I wanted to be 
and I wanted to, I knew I wanted to go the business route. And, um, and, and whenever I went to college, um, in looking at everything, I felt like accounting would be the hardest thing to learn on my own. And that is why I went that route because, you know, accounting is, you know, the debits and credits and, you know, all that stuff, it's pretty technical. And um, so that is why I picked it because I thought out of all the different uh, segments of the, the business industry, whether it's marketing, sales, you know, HR, you know, everything that has to do with business, I felt like the accounting would have been the hardest thing to learn um, outside of school. And um, yeah, that's exactly why I picked accounting. And, and then when I, I got into the music business, that all kind of fell away. Then it was, I just love the music business so much and it's still business, you know, business is in the, the words, right. but, um, but yeah, so, um, but, but of course I still with, stuck with, uh, accounting. I was never interested in, in any of the other areas like marketing or something like that. Um, at that point. I just remember from my college accounting class, credits on the right, the R in credit, credits on the right, right. debits on the left. There you go. So, okay, yeah, it's so very foreign. It is a very foreign, I mean, it works and I use it, I use it still, you know? Um, I mean, I, for my own finances, for the company's finances, I use it. And, um, but um, it's definitely like a foreign language whenever you're learning it. Totally, yeah. So, okay, so you go through this run in the music industry, you're at Reunion, you, you then work at Arista, and mm -hmm. then, you know, you end up working, and then there's a lot of cons consolidation at Arista and, and you know, the, so many people are let go and then you end up working national scene, Southcom, not to blow through, you know, so many right. years, mm -hmm. but you're sitting at Southcom, you're, you're the CFO and they right. bought Music Row. And I'm they assuming you probably, yeah, what, what were you gonna say? Oh, they bought it from David, David Rose. They bought it from yeah. David. And mm -hmm. I'm assuming that you're reading Music Row. I mean, this is kind of in the nineties. This is, and you know, mm -hmm. this is the peak of Music Row and country music. Like I'm assuming you're, reading the magazine you're aware of it during oh, this yeah, time absolutely right in the 90s absolutely yep yeah so, I had a subscription to it and everything yeah. yeah and i would always like what's funny is that the first thing i would do i remember being at reunion and of course you know nothing online you know which is hard for some people to imagine but those you know there was no such thing as online um or internet or anything like that and uh, I remember getting Music Row magazine in the mail and I would immediately turn to Robert Orman's reviews um, because there's just some classic ones. And uh, now there aren't that many reviews currently in Music Row. No, he, no yeah, he still does it. He so still he does, does it, it once a week. Yeah. But they're not. Um, he's a lot nicer now in his <laughs> reviews. <laughs> and I one time I asked him, I said, why aren't you know, your reviews you used to be pretty. Um, I don't know, pretty aggressive on your reviews. He's, and I said, why, why do you, why are there not, you know, as many of those, like where you're just calling people out? Um, and he said, because the music's better. Um, Interesting. Well, and if you think about it, the production is so much better, right? I mean, for, you know, a little bit of money, you can record things that are a thousand times better recording than they were back in the 90s. Sure. So, um, you know, um, but he said the music's, you know, and when he says the music, you know, I, I don't want to misquote him, but when he says the music is better, I think it's just that there's so many people that are so um, versed in 
songwriting and recording and things like that, that the sound is, is better, you know? Totally. And the bar is so high and there's right. Totally. So, okay. So you're working at Southcom and you're the CFO and they owned music row. They buy from David Ross, the founder, mm -hmm. and they decide that they're going to sell it because it doesn't quite fit into their right. business model. Exactly. And they bring it to you. And I've heard you also say in an interview similar to when you're at reunion, it came on your desk and you said, that's mine. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> you knew immediately that that you were going to purchase this thing. I mean, was that like, like, did they, were they asking if you wanted or what was the no, situation no. When, no. when it was presented to you? So what they did, uh, um, the CEO, Chris Farrell and uh, the board, which I was not on the board, I was CFO. So I was at the board meetings presenting, but I was not on the board itself. So they had decided they wanted to sell Music Row, even though they had only owned it for like two and a half years. And um, because their model was to buy niche publications and then duplicate them in other cities. So, you know, they have a in-focus that they buy here, then they created an in-focus in Louisville. So that was sure. really the, the gist of, of their business model. And um, they bought Music Row. I didn't really question it. I loved it because I knew Music Row. I was, had been a reader in the, you know, in the 90s. And, um, and then they realized, wait a minute, we can't build another Music Row somewhere else. This doesn't fit our model. And um, so they came to, you know, um, the CEO came to me and said, hey, sure, Sherrod, we're going to uh, quietly sell it off. So if you could just put together a package that we could um, take to some people and uh, because we're going to um, you know, sell, sell Music Row. And as soon as he did that, my legs started shaking underneath the table because I thought, oh, my God, I'm getting Music Row. <laughs> and I, I knew it. It was like. You know, I had become really good friends with David and I knew all about, I mean, you know, I did the finances for Music Row um, during that time. So I knew all about it. When you heard the price, were you encouraged or discouraged? Well, I didn't know the price because the price wasn't discussed. It was, it was really, that's all that, that was told to me was, hey, just put together a package. And I was like, okay. And, and I was like, and I didn't even know how it would happen or what was going to happen, but I just knew, I was like, oh my God, this is what I'm going to do. And, um, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll put something together. And I didn't because I didn't know what to do with this information that I had in my head that I was going to get it. I did not know what the next step was. And so, you know, maybe two weeks came by and CEO comes back to my office and says, Hey, I'm still waiting on that package. You know, we're going to do this. And I was like, at that point I said, okay, I said, um, definitely I'll, I'll put this together for you so you can show people, you know, like a, a little, um, kind of not a brochure, but you know, just put like right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. kind of go to investors and stuff. something. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so I said, Oh, by the way, I said, um, I'm probably gonna put in a bid as well. And, and he said, really? I was like, he's like, okay. All right. And I said, but here's the deal. You know, I realized that, you know, you and I were the ones that started Southcom and, and I will make this very easy for you if I was to leave. And that is I will hire somebody. If I do get this, if I do get the, do the best bid or whatever, um, I will hire someone and I will train them. So on my last day here, you will not notice when I walk out the door. That's how the transition you know, that was my promise to them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what happened. So I, um, 
So I gave my proposal and, um, and also didn't have the money, you know, I didn't have any money. And, uh, so I had not figured that out yet, but, um, I gave my proposal and there was a couple other ones and mine was the best one. And, uh, so they came back and said, we're, we're going to accept your proposal. So, and then what happened? Cause you say you didn't have the money. So did I you didn't. have to figure out how to get, get a loan or, or yeah. what, what, what happened next? Well, I, um, so I went to some banks, right? Because I thought, well, that's where you get money from. And, and one thing I had learned from Southcom is just how you do the deals, right? How you get money. Um, and yeah, banking is a big part of it, but you can also get money from investors and, you know, I'd gone through, we had acquired so many companies. I kind of saw how that worked. Now I never, now a lot of people get money that have great collateral and stuff like that. That always helps. But, um, so for me, I was like, okay, well, I know there's banks that have heard of music Row that they're familiar with music Row, So I'm going to go and, um, and get, um, get along. And so I went to four banks and I went to, there were three banks that I knew would know about music row. And I went and met with each one of them. And, um, you know, I didn't really have the big collateral to, to show, to, to, you know, put with the loan and I wasn't buying the building. So, um, that was one thing that the banks were like, well, we wish you were getting the building as part of this. But, now what, um, not, not to keep you off, but I'm curious, what, like, what is the property of music row? Is it the, the brand? And then did, mm -hmm. did that include the staff and then, any yeah I, it's I, all the assets it's, all it's the, the assets. assets yeah so yeah. it's the trademark it's the revenue stream it's the membership the subscription the right, subscribe memberships yeah, yeah. um it's the reputation it's you know it's of all of those yeah, yeah. things and i think that's what was thrown off the bank is that it will you know it's like yeah there's a lot of value in that right it started in 1981 and uh, david had done an amazing job building it you know um from nothing and, um, but yeah, but I think that what you just asked was a lot of the question was like, well, it's not the physical building. Right. And, uh, um, there's no real estate involved. Okay. Right. right. <laughs> no real estate. And, um, but a very good name. And so, um, so anyhow, I went through these banks and one by one, they said, we're not willing, we're not going to do that. And, uh, so I had gone through the three that I thought might, and then there was one other bank and, um, who I knew somebody that was there that was working at the bank and someone at Southcom said, Oh, did you, um, go, um, give your package to our friend who's at this other bank? I said, no, I said, they're not even familiar with music row. I don't think I'd have uh, much luck with them. And uh, I don't think they, you know, I'm not They'd sure they would. It. Yeah. They probably wouldn't get it. So, and my friend said, Hey, you probably should do that because we're friends with her and she's going to go, why didn't you bring it to me? And I was like, okay, I will. So I took it over there, took the package, kind of left it with her. So, so that's was probably like a week or maybe a couple of weeks. Um, before and but I still had time because the board had not approved it had not approved my deal um, they were interested but they it had not gotten approved sure so um, so I had some some time right um, I was you know I was stressed but but I had time and then 
And then this one day, everything happened. So I, um, the third bank said, we're going to pass. Whoops. Sorry. Um, the third bank said, we're going to pass. And, um, then I got an email and this is all happening within 24 hours. Then I got an email from Southcom CEO saying, Hey, the board's met, we've approved your offer. So it's been approved and we would like to go ahead and close as soon as possible. And you're like, Oh crap. (laughs) So I'm sitting there at my desk going, what the hell am I going to do? And um, I wasn't going to give up, but I was like, okay, I've got to figure something out. And then while I'm sitting in my desk, just going, what is my next step? This fourth bank sent me an email and say, Hey, we're attaching a uh, letter of credit. Um, we hope all these terms meet what you're needing. Um, we're happy to approve your loan. And, and that was the, the friend's loan, the, the friend yes. who you thought was never going to right, approve. Exactly. And she was the right. one that came through at the end. Right. And uh, I mean, I was just, I couldn't believe it. Cause I went from like, what the hell am I going to do to, Oh my God, it's a done deal within minutes. And, um, I couldn't even function. So all I could do was I got up, I shut the door so nobody would come into my office and I come back and I spill my coffee all over the keyboard <laughs> because I'm just like, I'm just, just right. You know, it's like, I couldn't believe all that happened. Um, all in one day. I mean, because yeah, yeah. this is, this has taken several weeks. So if you think about it, it's probably like six weeks from beginning to end. And then this all just came down. Not a very long time, actually. We, we, no, no, we think really. about and it. Like... And it might have been shorter than that. Um, but it was probably around that five or six weeks. And then it just all came together it, in, in like one day. And okay, so, so now you own Music Row and you've got mm-hmm. this finance background pretty much for your entire career in one form of another, your CFO or, you know, whatever it is. Now you own a media company. Where's the handbook? How do you, right. how do you, you learn know where this? the handbook is? Okay. So this is why I will always be David Ross's biggest fan. So David Ross was my handbook and what a better, you can't ask for a better handbook um, than the guy who started it. Um, because what happened was, remember I have, as part of my deal with Southcom, I said, look, I am going to train someone. And whenever I leave, you won't even notice that I'm gone. I mean, that's how seamless it's going to be for you right. as I leave. Um, and then David Ross was still, you know, he had an agreement and he was still, you know, halfway into his agreement where he was still running. He had sold the business to Southcom, but he was still running it. So what David and I talked about is David said, Hey, I will still run it until you, you know, get your legs underneath you. And um, so what I did was I would spend the first half of the day at Southcom training my replacement. And then at lunch, I would come over here on Music Row and David Ross would train me. So then I would be, I was his apprentice. Even though I had bought it, I had already bought it. He let me be the apprentice to learn how to run it. And now, you know, you had to... For, you know, you had to, you know, commit to your agreement to train someone to replace you. Right. But when you'd come over to Music Row in the afternoon, was that like the highlight of your day? Like, could you just oh, not awesome. wait? Yeah. Couldn't wait to just like yeah. get, get to the row. <laughs> yeah, it was good. But, but also, but I, you know, I enjoyed the Southcom part too. You know, I mean, I was there for, at the very beginning and I enjoyed being able to have, you know, be, be the person who was training 
and then coming here and being the person that was trained. But yeah, I was so excited about coming here. And uh, so we did that. And then as I would get more comfortable about things, then Dave would say, you know what? Um, why don't I reduce the days that I'm, I'm doing this? And then I would take on more and more. And so I mean, we did that for, I don't know how long, maybe I should know this, but maybe half a year for you know, six months or something like that. So um, I can't remember how long we did it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, David taught me everything. And um, so I, I couldn't ask for a better mentor and just the way that it worked out, you know, it wasn't like, I never, you know, I was very fortunate that I was never like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? Right. Right. And what you've also, now? right. And you've added to me, I mean, you've added events, like you've added the women's lunch yeah. and, mm -hmm. and all types of things. I mean, I mean, did, did you feel, you know, when you're introducing a new event, is there a pressure because you're, you know, you're, you risk messing with such a high profile brand or like what, how do you know when you're introducing something new that it's going to be the right fit? You know, that's a great question. I, um, I am not a big risk taker. So, um, you know, some people will just, they're all in, they put all their chips out and, and they know, and they don't care. You know, it doesn't, you know, and, and this works well for some people and they're going to go forward and they don't, you know, there can be a bunch of no's. It doesn't matter. You're focused. And I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of managers have to have that mentality, you know, as they're sure, yeah, yeah. taking a new artist around. And for me, my approach is more of like um, getting some feedback early on. And so like for the rising women event that, that, that I put together and that really has taken off. Um, and unfortunately we've had to, you know, had a pause, you know, this year. Um, but I'm sure it'll be as bigger, bigger than ever, uh, when we resume it, um, that started out as a brunch at, at Maggiano's at a rest, you know, at a restaurant. And even the first year, I remember the first year we did that, um, because I, I actually have a picture of my grandmother right behind me. And that's kind of what, in, not kind of, that's definitely what inspired me to do this, that I was sitting here once again, kind of daydreaming and thinking, and, and she was such an influence in my life. And I thought, wow, nobody ever really um, gave her any accolades during her life, you know, as far as what she did. And she did some amazing things um, in her, in a very small community, but, but really life-changing things. Um, for people, for her community and the people that knew her. And, you know, um, you know, she didn't even get her watch when she retired. You know, I mean, it's like, they're just, she got no accolades for it. And I was just sitting thinking, um, and I think it was a day that I got a plaque, you know, and I thought, wow, you know, I get, I get accolades for things I really didn't even participate in that much. And, um, and then it just hit me, hey, I've got a platform. I'm going to honor women. I'm not going to wait till they're done with their career. I'm going to honor women in their career, you know, influencers, people who are really contributing to this industry. And it's just a way to like, say, Hey, we acknowledge you and, and you're, you're doing amazing. And, and I just wanted to do, to do something because there's lots of things that happen at the end of your career, maybe, um, you know, really in all industries, you know, retirement parties and stuff like that. Right. I really wanted to do something in the middle. Um, um, as just an, uh, a, a way to shine a spotlight and because we're also all so busy, you know, doing the next thing and, and, um, ringing the next bell. And this was a way to just 
have people pause and go, wow, let's honor what you've done already. And um, so, yeah, so that, so I said, well, let's just do a brunch and we'll do it at Magiano's. And it sold out before we even announced who we were honoring. And, um, and you know, also wanted it to be very fairly priced. It, it, this was not, I, I never did this to make money. And um, my goal was to really honor women. And I always wanted to um, have it to where anybody could afford it, meaning maybe you're in college or, or maybe you're trying to get a job that, that I could bring these people into the room together, people who are executives and people who are just wanting to break into the business. And um, so, yeah, so it sold out before we even announced it. And I was like, okay, I was like, that looks good, but I didn't move it. I kept it there because I was like, what if that's just a one-time thing? What if that's a fluke? So I'm probably a little too conservative on, on my risk taking sometimes. Um, and so we did it again. And then at that point it was like, okay, I, I don't even have a choice. You know, basically the, yeah, the yeah. demand was pushing me to somewhere uh, a much bigger place. And I really think that's how a lot of, because I'm not a, a huge risk taker, meaning I don't just put all my chips out. Um, I definitely, um, you know, see, I have a guiding light, God, universe, people have different names, but there is something that, that is, there is, um, a guidance there that, um, I can't ignore. And that's really what fuels me to, to do things. Absolutely. Well, I want to be sure to tap on one more thing before we run out of time. So now is such an interesting time for music journalism for two reasons. One is, you know, so-and-so selling a million records doesn't feel that relevant when, you know, there's a pandemic going on. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, half of the source of news touring is canceled. So it's like, and that, that sense, there's almost less information to provide less content. Is that something that you guys have sort of figured out how to balance or, or what, how is the approach of what you guys report changed during the pandemic or is it music road at music Row's job to just keep reporting on the industry? Is that the best way they can serve their community? Yeah. Well, one thing that, that I focused on from the first day in into the last, you know, I, I can't imagine ever stepping down, but I am focused on the industry, always the industry. That's my core. And of course we have tons of views and, and other people that access our, our content. Um, but I think they access it because they know who I'm speaking to and it's the industry and it's the behind the scenes and it's, you know, it's, you know, in the studios and, and it's, that's, that's the core of who Absolutely. we are. And one of my goals, you know, whenever I first bought music grow, my goal was to penetrate even deeper into the industry. Um, and, um, and I think that gives us a unique flavor for even people, for fans to come and, and to even see what we're doing. But as far as content goes during um, the pandemic, one thing that I was really, um, I guess the pandemic kind of hit us all, you know, for relatively quickly, you know, where you go, oh my God, this is really happening. This isn't something just on the news, um, but, but it's, it's coming here. It's going to be here in Nashville. And, um, the content, because so much of what we do is online, pretty much anybody that's in the online space, um, it, it's gotten, the content has gotten more, right? Because if you think, okay, if, 
if people are not going to shows, if artists are not going to the shows, um, if they're not doing radio tours, you know, promotion tours and things like that, right? then where is all that energy going to right now? And it's going online. So yeah, I mean, our content has not decreased at all. If anything, it's increased. And plus it's, you know, we're looking at like, how are we doing live shows? You know, we've got um, an issue that's coming out um, in a couple of weeks. And, and one of the features is what, do, what are different ways that we could gather? You know, obviously we have some that um, um, are doing like the drive-in, you know, where you stay in your car and like the, those have right. started happening, you know, and, um, and that's one aspect. Of course, there's the Zoom calls and things that people are doing from their homes. But then is there like a PPE, you know, personal protective equipment that, that, um, that we could be wearing, you know, what, what is the, the route going to be like? And, and not even just this pandemic, but in future years, you know, I think we will exit this time having learned a ton, right? And what are we going to apply to the future from what we're learning right now? But going back to your original question about like the, um, the, the content in, in what we're reporting, um, I mean, things are changing now more than ever, right? As Absolutely. people figure yeah, it out. Yeah. So our content has um, been very strong. Now, in the decade that you've you know, ran Music Row, mm -hmm. I'm yeah. sure you've seen a lot of artists come through the doors of this office mm -hmm. and you've seen some, you know, blow up and I'm sure some have gone the way of the wind. Any qualities of artists that you catch early on in the media room that stands out to you or any, are there any commonalities or, or any moments where you've just seen a young star and thought to yourself, that person's got it. And then turned out that, you know. Yeah. Um, actually there is something you know, everybody talks about the it factor, right? That's, um, you know, everybody uh, mentions that. But the reason why everybody mentions that is because it does exist, right? There is something that when you meet an artist and when they sing, there is a connection that goes so much deeper than the song that, or what they're, what they're doing. It's like, there's just a, a connection. And, um, I think it's hard to explain. I think a lot of people have a trouble explaining it because it's almost something that can't be explained because you feel it. And, and I do see that. And I do feel that when um, there are certain artists that come through and you go, wow, there is something very unique about that artist. You know, I mean, I remember when Lauren Elena came by and um, like she left, I was like, there, you know, there's a connection. You feel connected. Right. Totally. Even if you never see that or never talk to the person again, or if it's in different situations going forward, there's a connection that maybe you don't feel, um, you know, when other people come in. Um, so that's, I think it's more, you know, that's more than just the talent. There is something, um, there's something deeper that happens. Um, and there's Absolutely. an entertaining and it's almost like, you know, one thing that I've noticed about the artist who, who, who meet that level is that, um, or who have that it factor is that you are as interested in hearing them sing as you are hearing them talk. There's just something very interesting, um, about 
them as a whole, right? Um, That's one of the things, especially when I find a new artist that really captivates me. I'm like, right. who is this person? The first thing I want to find is not necessarily new music. It's like, I want to find an interviewer or, or I just want to see right. them talking or if they're on like right. Jimmy Fallon or something. It's like those little moments where they exactly. show a little personality and give a little context mm -hmm. beyond the music. Right. Right. That's what I'm looking for with the new artist. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because you, you want to have a relationship with them and that's what being a fan is about. Um, is having a relationship, you know, a, a fan artist relationship. So. Absolutely. Well, Sherrod, this has been such a pleasure. Oh, cool. And cool. I'm glad we're it. able to, I'm glad we were able to do this because I had David Ross on. He was the first episode of my podcast I said at the beginning, and he was able to tell the first part of Music Row. And right now we got awesome. the second part to the present day. So this Love has it. been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. What is, is there anything that we're still trying to bring Music Row to or that we should be on the lookout for from Music Row or the new issue coming out? In a couple weeks yeah, so we have a new print issue coming out in a couple of weeks, which is our uh, Music Row Awards, the, the nominees. And we have some great features in that. Um, but really, I, I think if, if anything I'd like to, um, I guess, um, pitch about Music Row is that uh, in a time when we may not feel as connected because we're not able to meet at industry, industry events, or see each other at concerts, um, you know, it's a tough time. And I think um, being connected is very important. And that's, that's why we're here. That's why Music Row exists, is to connect the industry. So- um, Absolutely. So yeah, so, the, so that, that's the sole purpose of us- And being, keep us informed. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, our, that's our job. Absolutely. Well, I, I told David, and I'll, I'll say that, I mean, there's so much, there's so much information that gets covered in you know the mass music media, and then there's so much mm -hmm. information that you just see in Music Row. And I think if you right. live in Nashville and work in Nashville, it feels like it's our information, or it right. feels very personal to us. And and you know if it didn't exist, I'm not sure there'd be an outlet for certain stuff that's really important to us. Cool. So cool. Thank you that. for continuing to carry right. that torch. All right, I love it. Talk to you soon. Hope we get the okay. chance to to meet in person whenever okay. we can. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Let's do it. Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks again to Sherrod for taking the time to talk with us. I mean, I love this. We've got the full Music Row story chronicalized on this podcast. If you haven't heard our debut episode with Music Row founder David Ross, I encourage you to go back and listen. But thanks so much for tuning in today. And if you want more content from us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at nashvillebriefing.com or you can follow us on socials, everything at Nashville Briefing. The Zach Kuhn Show is mixed by Sam Heyman, and our theme music is by Justin Johnson. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Bye.